Hey everybody, welcome to the Calhoun Ward Living Histories Podcast. I am your host, John Phillips, a member of the Calhoun Ward. Let's dive in and learn more about our ward members. So I'm Matt Martin. I was born in uh, Spalding County, Georgia, Griffin. Um, raised more or less in the Griffin area. We did move when I was uh, in my early teenage years to Pike County, Georgia, which is where I kind of finished my education. Um, you know, life for me pre, um, pre 9-11 uh, was pretty simple and it went by really fast. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but uh, we, you know, mom and dad did okay. And we, uh, we had a pretty more or less happy family. We were pretty tight knit. Um, there were uh, six of us kids. And uh, my mom and dad, you know, like anybody else, they went through hard pop patches, but they stayed together, and and uh, more or less we we did we did okay. Um, my mom, uh, Connie Martin, she was a stay at home mom for the most part. She uh, not a super educated woman, but liked to learn about natural things, you know, herbs, things like that. She was super interested in natural medicine stuff like that. So we got a lot of experience. Uh, I'm not experiences, but um, experiments done to us, right? We uh, got to, you know, drink her witchcraft potions or whatever. My dad was a construction man. Um, despite being educated, uh, you know, he did do some years in college and he was pretty good at physics and stuff like that. Uh, during the time that he kind of came into his professional life, um, the economy was good and he did, he did really well in the construction business building swimming pools. So he quit college and just kind of did that. Um, for the rest of his life, really. And so we, a lot of our younger lives were, you know, kind of more or less intertwined with that that thing because being a subcontractor and being, you know, the time, the way it was back in those days, you know, the OSHA and the safety things were less of a, were less of a thing. So, you know, mom would get irritated with having six kids in the house and she would, uh, she would send us to work with that. And so we spent the majority of our, our childhood, you know, out in the red clay, you know, of, you know, these swimming pool construction sites, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, apartment complexes or, or residential or whatever it was, playing. And so as we played, you know, eventually we, uh, we would get to the age where maybe we wanted to make some extra money. Maybe we just got bored of doing whatever we were doing and dad would put us to work. So we, we learned by watching him and also under his tutelage, how to do those things. So I've been involved with construction things since I was a pretty young kid. I don't have a whole lot of uh, bad memories from being a, a kid. I, I had a pretty happy childhood. Again, like I say, mom and dad, they had their fights and stuff, but you know, for the most part, we we're pretty close knit. Um, one memory that stands out to me talking about, you know, working with dad and stuff is that one year, we were we were at work and it uh, very very cold bitter cold I mean it was super super cold especially to me I was just a kid right and uh, I was sitting in the truck and uh, you know in those days you know dad wouldn't leave the truck running or anything because it was an older truck and you know didn't want wear and tear or whatever so I would I was sitting in the truck trying to keep warm while he was working and I remember just shivering and being absolutely miserable so I told dad I said dad I'm really cold you know we need to do something about it. You know, start a fire or something. He says, you know, son, the work or the warmth is in the tools. And if you want, I'll show you something and you can get warm. 
And so I says, okay, well, what, what is it? So he pulled out a can of spray paint and he sprayed a line on the ground where he wanted me to dig a trench so he could bury some pipe. And within five minutes, I was stripping clothes off, you know, and I was, and so I, I learned the value of hard work pretty, pretty early on in life, but also, you know, was able to, you know, kind of bond with my father that way. Um, we did a lot of uh, camping as youth um, in the church in those days. Now, mom and dad weren't, strictly speaking, they weren't uh, super active in the church. But the church added to our lives in a, in a lot of ways when I was a kid, because all my siblings were older than me. I'm the youngest boy. And the only one after me is my sister, Sarah. So we were the, we were the babies. So it gave my older brothers an outlet, you know, to go and do things. They had seminary. They had this, you know, these things they, we, they, we would participate in. Um, with the church, uh, even though we weren't super active at that time. So Boy Scouts was a huge thing for us. We, we, we did, we did Boy Scouts. And, uh, so we did a lot of camping and, uh, outdoors activities, things like that. And so that's, that's pretty much my entire, um, you know, pre older teen years is just playing outside, working outside with dad, you know, just growing up, you know, and that was, uh, it was a good time. For me, so my mom and dad were, uh, they started getting pretty pretty active in the church when I was about, you know, 13 or 14. So I was baptized, technically speaking, I was baptized at, at eight years old. But we didn't really get active in the church until I was in my teen years. And so with that comes, you know, I'm going to early morning seminary now. I'm doing these things. And, and you know, you have your group of friends that you, you hang out with during those times. Uh I had a good friend of mine named Jordan Allred, and um, him and me and Jeremy Young, that was sort of our little group, and, and we were all church members, and we went to seminary together, but we also went on campouts together and stuff, and we went to school together, so it was good. We, 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 we hung out a lot together. Um, again, with the teenage years, they, they went by pretty quick. We didn't have a whole lot in my family as far as you know substance goes, but when I got to be 16... My dad went out and uh, bought a truck. He bought me a, what, a Chevrolet S10, a little booger green one. And it didn't run. And he said, if you can fix this truck, then you can have it. So I fixed the truck. Um, you know, Chevy parts are easy to come by and pretty cheap. So I worked, worked, worked a summer and was able to fix it up. And that's when I started to drive and kind of go out. I didn't do a lot of sports. Um, again, with the, you know, the sports are kind of expensive. So I didn't do a lot of that. Uh, but I was super active still. You know, I like to run around, and I, I consider myself pretty athletic. I was able to, uh, I was always interested in, you know, the movement of things and how, you know, how it works. So I was always running and jumping, and I could run up walls and do backflips like Jackie Chan, and I could just, I mean, I was really a pretty athletic kid. Um, but it just, it flew by really fast, you know, uh, because there wasn't any trauma, you know, because I was happy and healthy and, and things were good, uh, you know, there's really, I mean, nothing super special that happened. I mean, the whole time I was being influenced by, you know, members of the church and, and uh, you know, the spiritual things I had going on in my life, but not any more or less than anyone else, nothing that was super profound, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions. And uh, I met my current, my, or my wife, my only wife, I met her at church when we were about 16. She moved into the ward 
And uh, not that it was love at first sight or anything. You know, I think we could probably kind of hate each other at first. But, you know, uh, all the things that are going on in my life now are echoes of what happened in my teenage years, right? So I married my high school sweetheart. I'm still, still in touch with all my friends from then. And it's just a good time. You know, I just didn't really have any, uh, any issues. So some family or other relationships that have had a big impact on my life. Um, of course, my dad. You know, my dad was probably the pillar of manhood in my life. Uh, you know, he was always there to take care of us. He wasn't, he was playful, had a good sense of humor, super sarcastic, right? We learned all that from him. But it wasn't like, you know, hey, let's wrestle or let's put a, let's, let's throw a ball or anything like that. It was just, you know, more about, for him, it was about, you know, what can I do to to teach a good lesson, right? How to hard, work hard or how to provide or, you know, just what you would think about when you think about what a man should do, right? And I don't fault him for not wanting to uh, to throw balls and stuff like that. I mean, we were we were kids, you know, we were going to do that anyway. But we, what I thought he, I think he valued in showing us was things we didn't know, things we needed to know, you know, how to, how to build things, how to, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget, you know, I, I, I broke his level. And he said, okay, well, let's do it with the water level. And he would pull out a bucket and a, a length of hose and we'd use water level. And it was just, so, I, you know, of course I have to give credit to, to dad and mom. My mom was a pioneer. I mean, she was just among women. She was super tough. You know, and not to throw any shade on, on the opposite sex. We love them, but yeah, you know, a lot of times I feel like women get a bad rap in in our society for being super high maintenance or, or somehow not, you know, not as as tough. And we feel like maybe as men we have to take care of them somehow. But my mom was very much not like that. She, uh, she was just tough. I mean, physically and and mentally, she was, she was a rock. And I think, you know, with my parents, they, they made a good team that way. Uh, my brothers, too. Uh, my eldest brother, Jeremy, was always one of my heroes. He was a, a man before I was you know, 10 years old. And uh, when September 11th happened, uh, you know, he joined the military and went to war. And uh, I remember we, we used to pray for him, and we'd put a little flag in the window and all that. And um, he... Uh, he was, you know, he very much was like a mirror image of dad in my mind, only younger, right? Probably the most brilliant mechanic I've ever, I've ever known. He was sort of a hero in my life. And from the time I was, uh, I guess, nine or, nine or so, I took piano lessons from a man in the ward. Uh, his name was Ron Harrison. And he's, uh, he's actually pretty famous. He's um, like a world-renowned entomologist or something for, for Rollin, the Rollins Corporation, Orkin pest control and uh he would give us me and my sister he would give us free piano lessons and so we'd go and learn from him but also we would uh he would oftentimes just take us on road trips and you know he i think for me in my life the intellectual side of things you know when i think about my ability to express myself in a in a, in a way that can be understood by others when i think about you know the interactions I have with people on an intellectual basis, I really have to give him that credit. Because, again, with Dad, he was a man of few words. You know, he was, he was a, a doer, but not really a talker. You didn't really hear from him much. And my mom, you know, bless her, she, again, super tough, but also very opinionated. And, uh, you know, 
I guess, not really well-liked in social spheres because of it. So when I think about who I learned from the most, you know, intellectually and how to debate and get my point across and things like that, I have to give the, the credit to Ron. He's a wonderful man who, who gives selflessly and, um, and just, uh, you know, was always there as a, as, you know, someone to pull things from that I didn't have readily available in the house. And, um, through all the achievements in my life that are, that are noteworthy, you know, you know, graduating high school and getting an Eagle Scout and, and going on a mission, you know, he was always there in the background. And I, I feel like definitely a large part of who I am comes from him too. So, but that's pretty much it on that. Yeah. So after I graduated high school, um, you know, the question everyone gets faced with in that situation is what am I going to do? Right. I had no intention of going, serving on a mission. Um, it was one of these things that, you know, we knew you were expected to do it and, and that all these things, but I, I didn't, I didn't want to, I would say that I really didn't have a testimony of the church. Again, I was going through the motions, you know, mom and dad, they went from not active at all to somewhat active to, you know, and then just all of a sudden it seemed like they were just, I mean, steaming hot. They went and got married in the temple and this whole bit. And this happened right as I was coming into my, my teenage years. So, you know, I didn't have that, you know, again, I went to primary sporadically, I went to seminary, this whole things, but it just seemed like something you did, you know, that was our community. So it wasn't something that, it wasn't something that spiritually was super piercing, it was just part of life. And so when, when the issue of the mission came up, my mom specifically was very clear that she wanted me to serve a mission. And, uh, my brothers had all done military things, and um, you know that was that, that was their whole thing, and, and so I, I felt like I didn't want to do that, um, and I, I knew I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what it was, and so I felt like you know my parents were good parents, and I sort of sort of felt like I owed it to them, you know, to serve that mission to so that they could say you know my son's on a mission or whatever because they were good parents, and I, I felt like I owed it to them, so. That was sort of the thing. I put in my my, uh, my paperwork for my mission, and I received my mission call to the uh, Zimbabwe Harare mission, uh, which is uh, you know Central Africa thereabouts. And at the time, the Zimbabwe Harare mission uh, was a uh, was a three country mission. So there's Zambia, Malawi, and Zimbabwe. And so Zimbabwe Harare mission. Uh, so I, I got my call. I left in October of 2008, and at the time. Uh, inflation in Zimbabwe was uh, through the roof. Um, it was uh, not good economic times. I, I think even to this day they're not doing well economically. But the right, the right at that point, it was just kind of it was on the news and it j had just kind of started. Um, uh, the the president at the time was you know they, we use the word dictator. I kind of I think we throw that around too much. Uh, not that, but super isolationist. You know, not interested in you know anyway politically. It's it, there's a whole thing going on there. So. It was kind of scary, you know, I, I got the mission call thinking that I was going to go to, you know, something, Utah or whatever, right, Montana or something like that, thinking it was just going to be a run-of-the-mill, two years, come back, you know, get those accolades and move on. But I ended up going to Zimbabwe, and at the time it was, you know, like I say, it was terrifying because 
you know, young kid, don't really have a testimony, right? Here you are, you're thrown into the situation whereby you're looking out the window of a plane, at the, you have the ocean going by, going, what have I done, you know? And uh, I was, you know, as a kid, I was pretty rambunctious. I had a lot of energy, you know, the, you know, from the time I was very young, people would tell my mom, oh, something's wrong with your son, you know, he can't sit still. And she would say, there's nothing wrong with him, he's just a boy. And I just, I've always had that, that, that go on. So when I got to the MTC, I was restless, you know, I wanted to go and play and it was very much a, a college classroom kind of feel, you know, where they wanted to sit in that. And I'll be honest with you, four years of seminary, I, I learned very little. Um, early morning seminary, not not because the teacher wasn't amazing, but because I just, you know, it's early morning. And I, it was again, it was what you did. So I went into the MTC not knowing the difference really between the Book of Mormon, the Bible, you know, the Gregor Price, you name it. I just didn't know, and so it was a it was a, it was cold water for me. And there were several times in the MTC where, you know, I had issues with other elders, and you know, so the so the mission, so the the president of the MTC, um. Brought me into his office. He said, Elder Martin, do you really want to be here? And it was a, you know, it was a moment in my life where I, I don't know. Do I really want to be here? You know, and I, I went to the, the MTC in South Africa at the time. Uh, the Pretoria South Africa MTC was the one that was, that served my mission. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know, President. I don't know if I want to be here or not. Um, and so he took some time to pray and fast about me as an elder. And he brought me again into his office and said, I know you're supposed to be here. I know there's things you're supposed to do for both yourself and others, um, but we have you have to be serious, right? You're representing the Lord as long as you wear that badge on your chest, and so you you are expected to act a certain way. And so from then, I you know I I went through a period of change where when I got to my mission, um, I was actually assigned to labor in uh, Malawi first, in a town called uh, Lilongwe, and my Companion at the time was, it was his last transfer, um, and he was very difficult to work with, uh, mostly because I think he had heard about me from people who were in the MTC, and so he had already had it in his mind who I was and what he expected in that, and, and that he was just going to you know teach me a lesson or whatever, and you know me being who I am, you know, that's not going to work for me. So we butted heads a lot, and that first transfer was really hard for me. But going along, I had a lot of elders that were inspired, um, that, you know, kind of saw me coming, knew who I was, and they were wise enough to deal with me in, in ways that made a lot of sense for me, that helped me to grow. Um, and eventually, through the, through the rigors of a mission, you get to a point in your life where you you know, physically and emotionally and, and, and just spiritually, you're worn out, you know, you're, especially for someone who doesn't really have a strong testimony of, of Jesus Christ and of the things you're teaching and things like that. And I, I hit that point about midway through, maybe a little less than midway through. And it, so again, with the economic times being what they were, there was very little in the way of, they would give us our allotment. And the, the, and the church is very strict about obeying the laws. And so when they gave us our allotment, they would give it to us in these book bags. And just book bags full of Zimbabwe money. Millions and millions of dollars. Uh, you know, I remember one time they brought me a stack of $10 trillion notes. And by the time you would get to the marketplace to buy food or whatever for the week, um, 
it, it wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. We would usually, we would literally use the money to to clean ourselves in, in the bathroom. We would rub it together and make it soft, and it was just terrible. And there wasn't a whole lot to go around, and sometimes we had to stay up real late and, you know, to, to buy bread at a bakery or something like that. We'd put a special order in, we'd have to stay up late to go get it or something like that. So it was really, really hard physically. Um, the work was was good spiritually because people were willing to talk to you. They were humble, they wanted to talk to you, you know, people were just really hungry for that word. But physically it was hard, spiritually it was hard because I struggled, I didn't know what, what if what I was doing was right. And, um, you know, I miss my family and, and things like that. So there, there, came a, there came a time on my mission when I was uh, sort of faced with a choice, right? I, either this is true and I'm doing the right thing and I need to know that, or it's not and I'm wasting my time and I need to know that too. Because going forward, how much how much longer can I live this? And so I remember going through a, a time of uh, of self reflection, of fasting and praying, and, and I remember when I received my testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I was uh, sitting at my study desk in uh, in my one of my you know later areas. Uh, I was in Zimbabwe at the time, studying by candlelight because the uh, electricity was. You know, rolling blackouts happen all the time. I was studying by candlelight, and my companion was already asleep. And I just remember feeling, you know, those wonderful feelings that we read about in Galatians. You know, just joy and peace and love. And all those things flooded into my bosom. And I knew that Jesus Christ was the Savior. And I knew that he was there, that he was approving of what I was doing. And that... As I, learned, as I studied and learned and, 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 and started to grow in that gospel, that I would continue to be blessed and my efforts would be. And, a, you know, a testimony is something you grow over time. Right? It's not something that comes all at once and then, oh, well, I've got it now, that's all. It's, it's like, like the old adage says, it's a little seed, right? So I remember when mine broke the surface, right? When the seed began to, to put forth and it broke the surface and began to grow and it changed my life. Because for the rest of my mission, I was able to teach and preach and testify from a place of power, right? From a place of knowledge. And it, 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 uh, it really helped with the rest of the work. Um, but, you know, my mission, again, like most of my life, it, it went by pretty fast. I think uh, you talk to any missionaries, and they're like, oh, the mission goes by super fast. And in hindsight, it did. I think at the time, when you're in it, Especially with some of the physical stuff that we, that we we dealt with in my mission, you know, oh man, this takes forever. You know, we're never going to get home, but it, it shot by pretty quickly. And um, what a blessing it's been in my life to to look back and the things I learned in my mission that I've been able to plot to apply in my life as a father and as a teacher of of the gospel in the church and and just all the things. You know, it, it, when I think about as a young man, do you know? I don't really want to do this. In hindsight, how different things would be if I hadn't. I mean, it's just night and day. There's no doubt about it. My, my life would be 100% different if I didn't have that experience in my, my life. And it wasn't, you know, we always talk about I served a mission. But in reality, it's something the Lord does for us. It's for us. You know, my mission was absolutely for me to, 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 to realize my true potential as a, a, a priesthood holder in the Lord's church. Uh, you know, the, the full weight of being a father and a husband and all these things, it was absolutely a training ground for me. And the bonus of that 
was that I was able to help others. And so that's how I kind of look at my mission. Before I left on my mission, my, uh, my wife and I, my girlfriend at the time, we'd been dating since we were uh, about 16. And um, when I went on a mission, uh, she, I guess, yeah, she waited. And so we, I came home from my mission and, and we uh, continued to date and made sure it was something we wanted to proceed with. And once we had just made that decision, we, we got married uh, shortly after I returned because I came home in October of 2010. So we were married in, uh, in uh, May of, of uh, 2011, yeah. So that's how that that's how that went. Um, we uh, I like I mentioned before, uh, Ron Harrison, he worked at Orkin and was kind of a bigwig there. So he you know noticed that I was back from my mission, poor kid, didn't have a job. So he offered me work at uh, Orkin Pest Control, which I accepted, and I uh, went to work, um, you know, doing pest control for a while. I knew it wasn't something I wanted to do long term. Uh, I also understood myself well enough to know that I didn't have the discipline it took to go to college. I had no interest in that at all. Uh, I don't consider myself a scholarly person. I like to read the scriptures. I feel like I understand them pretty well, but that's the only thing that lends its, you know, its uh, itself to me. You know, everything else is Greek to me. I, I don't, you know, as far as the the academic studies go, I don't don't very do very well. So. I knew I wanted to probably do construction. I knew I wanted to, uh, you know, to get into doing something. I just didn't know what. And so for the time being, I, I worked at Orkin um, while we saved and got ready to, to get married. Uh, there was a man at church in my, my home ward. Um, uh, what was his name? I can't remember. I won't waste time going, ah. Uh, but he, was, he worked in the, uh, in the HVAC field for a union company called Mallory and Evans that was out of Atlanta. And he, he, he approached me. Um, I think he was one of my Cub Scout ma uh, masters maybe when I was a kid. I didn't know him super well, but he, anyway, he approached me and he was like, hey, you know, are you looking for work? And I said, well, I'm always looking for work. If there's an opportunity, you know, what does he have in mind? So he told me a little bit about what he does and it sounded interesting. I had no experience whatsoever in refrigeration or, or, or HVAC. Um, all the experience, uh, the uh, construction experience I had was in, you know, uh, industrial construction, right? Putting things together, you know, sort of doing rebar and concrete, that sort of thing. So no experience doing that, no, no electrical background or anything like that. But he, he told me, hey, you know, you can work for us. You can start out as an apprentice. Uh, you can, you know, kind of work and, work and go to school at the same time. And, and we'll, the union sent you to school this whole bit. He painted, the, you know, this roses and butterfly knives picture for me and uh you know it, it sounded good you know and he he you know I, he had me over to the house a couple of times he lived not a not a grandiose lifestyle but he lived well you know he had plenty of time and money to do you know sort of things he wanted to do and and i knew that you know because of some of my academic decisions in the past and stuff that i you know unless i i was you know an entrepreneur and had a really really good idea like an iphone or something that i wasn't going to be super rich but you know, at least I could make a good living and provide for my family, and that's really all I wanted. So I got into HVAC, and uh, I started my apprenticeship in uh, 2011, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, my wife and I, we, uh, we got married. Um, this was right before I left Orkin. I, I saved enough money. Um, 
my wife is from San Diego, so uh, we decided that, well, she decided, well, we decided together. I didn't have any dog in the fight. It didn't matter to me what temple we got married in as long as we got married in the temple. And she's always been attracted by the San Diego temple, not only because that's where she's from, but because it's a beautiful temple. So we decided that that's where we wanted to go and get married, and um, I was able to, uh, I was able to, you know, work my, work our way toward it. We were able to, and we with a lot of help from friends and family, we made it. Um, we got married in the San Diego Temple, and uh, started our family. And um, we have uh, we have two kids, uh, Judah and Harper, and they're about a year apart. As far as hobbies and interests, I love the outdoors. I think that one of the greatest ways that our Father in Heaven expresses His love for us is through this earth. And what a wonderful thing this is. You know, to the, to the, very, the, to the very smallest detail, and again, I'm not a learned man, but just the biology of it is so intricate and, and beautiful and wonderful and how it all works. Um, you could... You know, you could study it in a classroom, but I think being out in it is the best classroom, the best classroom there is, and you can never learn all, all there is to know about it in this life. And I, I'm amazed every time I go out uh, outside to go camping or fishing or, or to, to participate in the outdoors is one of the greatest blessings of my life. Um, I also love to uh, play tabletop board gaming uh, games. Uh, my family and I are... are Pretty big into Dungeons and Dragons. We like to play all sort of variations of that. Um, just just telling stories and being able to, to gather around as family and and affect that story, right? To be able to tell the story together, not just one person sitting around reading a book, but to be able to you know through the roll of dice or you know how you create a character and these whole things to tell a story together is a lot of fun and then there's a lot of action in it and stuff too. So I really enjoy that also. Um, Hmm. And that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, I uh, you, you know, you say outdoors is a huge blanket. I like to do a lot of different stuff outdoors, but that's uh, that's pretty much it on that. Um, I uh, like I say, was born and raised in the Griffin Ward, and we did a short stint in the Jackson Branch when we lived with my wife's parents for a little while when I first came back from my mission. Then we bought a house in Covington, and we. Uh, we went to the Covington Ward for a few years, and uh, something you know in in my history that I I sort of glossed over was uh, when I was uh, I guess a year after my my wife and I got married, my father passed away of cancer, uh, liver cancer, and he um, you know that was hard on me, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, of course, you know, helps tremendously with that um, when you learn about what happens after we die and the more you learn about the veil and, and just, you know, how, you know, he's not truly gone. He's just doing something else. Right. Uh, it, it provided tremendous comfort for me. So it's not something I'm very sensitive about things like that. I know he's still about, he's just, but my mom was a concern for me because now dad's gone. So that's her main provider. She doesn't have any marketable skills. Um, and that concerned me. And my all my brothers were sort of about uh, the country doing other things. My, you know, I had two brothers in Texas. One works on the oil rig, and he's never home. Uh, the other one's, you know, not not super stable himself. So there's nothing really they could do. And so when when Dad passed away, I felt like it was 
sort of my responsibility as the only priesthood holder in my family uh, at the time to sort of look after mom. And so I moved back to Griffin to look after her, kind of take care of her a little bit. Um, I bought a house in Williamson, Georgia, which is just down the road from, uh, you know, it's, it's still in Pike County, but it was just down the road where she lived in uh, Mid- Midpike. And we, you know, she got old. You know, she was not old, but she, when, when dad passed, I think she was you know, maybe 50s. And then, you know, through the years, you know, she just, you know, you could see that, you know, dad worked really hard and through, through you know, fruits of his labor, he was able to build a house and had, had a good little parcel of land and stuff like that. And when he was alive, it was easy to take care of. Um, but when he passed, it got harder and harder for mom to take care of it. And so raising a young family and, and all the things I had on my plate, plus trying to do that, not that it was a burden, but it was definitely something that, you know. So anyway, but, but uh, what, a couple years ago, mom also got liver cancer. and She passed away. And the blessing in that is that, you know, her and dad both didn't suffer very long. They, they got it and they were, you know, they died pretty quickly. And also that they're together, right? I know that they're together. They're in an eternal companionship. Their patriarchal blessings stated that they would serve missions together, and they are right now. You know, they're teaching the gospel on the other side of the veil to those who didn't have the opportunity to, to hear it on this side. And I know that's true. And so that's uh, the reason why I moved to Calhoun Ward, because now that mom had gone on and I didn't have to really worry so much about her anymore, I was faced with the first real, where do I want to live? And my first instinct was Alaska. You know, I wanted to go to Alaska. I wanted to go and experience that. I've always watched the TV shows. I've always been interested in Alaska since I was a little kid. There was a show on about a guy who went to a lake and built a cabin and all this. And I've always wanted to do that. Um, and being an outdoorsman, I just, it's, you know, that's, that's, that's Disneyland. But, um, my wife, she uh, what came down. We she got a diagnosis uh, of Hashimoto's disease, which is a, a hypothyroidism that if you affects your body in several different ways. Anyway, one of the one of the things about that is she gets real cold. You know, during the winter, winter times are kind of brutal for her. And so Alaska, you know, because I love her, that's out. <laughs> you know, Alaska's kind of cold. So uh, I always wanted to live in sort of a. And I'm putting my fingers up here in air quotes mountainous terrain right and um but georgia has provided me with uh because of the, the weather here and the, the climate i have lots to do as an hvac man you know if there's if there's no heat if there's not an extreme heat or an extreme cold then you know you're not going to have a very good business so you know my network is here and everything so i you know this stage of my life i didn't feel like it was a good time for me to move out of state but i knew that i wanted to do something so i i, I moved to north georgia uh, here in Adairsville so that I could be around some of the outdoor activities I wanted to, to do more often, um, but also could stay around a place where I could provide well for my family. So that's that. As far as the testimony of Jesus Christ goes, you know, like I mentioned a little bit before, it's a, it's a, uh, a process, right? You don't, it's not something you get all at once and then you're done. It's something that grows over a lifetime and even after. So I feel like for me, there's been a lot of things in my life where I, I've built strong aspects of a testimony um, 
and there are there are certain aspects of my testimony that are still under construction that I haven't mastered, uh, and I'm very young, so mastery is probably a strong word for any any part of my testimony. But um, you know, the law of tithing is something that I have always had a testimony of. I think my parents instilled that in me when I was a kid because they didn't have much, but they always paid a tithing. And when they did, we always had. We, we there was always plenty. And I've experienced that in my life. You know, we, we, you know, every young person goes through a time when you're get, just starting out and you don't have a whole lot. And, you know, th- that story is the same for me. Maybe even compounded because, you know, 2008, we had economic crisis. When I came up from my mission, it was still very much a thing. You know, the construction industry was not strong. And so we went through, through a period where there was some, you know, my wife and I were impoverished. And I use that term very lightly because our parents were very supportive of us. You know, if they, we needed anything, whatever. But, but the tithing, whenever we paid our tithing, things worked out. And they always have. And I know that that's true. Um, testimony of service. Watching my dad, when Hurricane Katrina go, came through, we went to Louisiana and spent several weeks down there helping them. And Dad took that time off work. And just the spirit felt serving those people down there, saints and, and Gentile alike. And just, you know, ser- when you're in the service of your fellow man, you're in the service of your God. And I know that's true because I've seen it. I've done it. You know, and, and I think experience is the best teacher. Um, and through my life, I've you know, just all the experiences. Having my children. So both of my children were born at home. Uh, my wife, I was attracted to her largely because as much as she... You know, punch me in the face if I say this out loud. She is just like my mom. She's a pioneer. She's tough mentally, physically. There's nowhere I can go on the face of this planet that she can't follow me. If I'm pulling a handcart, she's right there next to me. No doubt about it, she'll out-survive me in a survival situation. She is just absolutely the toughest person I've ever met. And so, you know, having our children at home and, and doing all those things, she made those choices. I'm gonna. This is the way I'm going to do it. Okay, and I support you. And so watching that, you know, with the children and just, you know, getting to experience life, you know, in, in, in its rawest form from my mission and all the things I got to see there to, to having children. To, I mean, all the things, you know, it's just, it, it's a testimony of the love of Heavenly Father for his children. that He gives us beautiful things and he allows us to experience pain. And, and suffering and, and loss and, and heartache so that we will recognize and have joy over the good things. I think we live in an age now where there's a lot of instant gratification. You know, we have, we're constantly feeding our eyes and our minds with things that are, you know, right now. But it's the things that you wait for, right? It's the things that you have to learn over time, that you have to put effort into. Those are the things you value the most. And... What a wonderful thing it's been in my life from beginning to end to be able to see things through the efforts of those around me that they've taught me to put in, you know, that I've been able to see the love of my Heavenly Father and grow my testimony. So, so yeah, I think a testimony is something that grows over time and I'm still, I'm still under construction. What life experience has caused me to most trust in God? That is... That's a good question. Uh, so I really haven't had, knock on wood, I haven't had very much trauma in my life. Uh, it's been relatively easy. 
um, I haven't had any experiences in my life where where I, I felt like there was no other where place to turn that drove me to a spiritual, you know, besides like what I talked about on my mission, you know, that, but that was very much a, you know, I'm going to try to find out and if I don't, I'm going home and then I'll move on from there, right? It, but it was never a, this is the end if I don't, you know. So I really don't know. That's a tough question. So uh, today is Sunday, the 20th of August. So that means we've been in this ward for five weeks. Um, we just moved here very recently. And I think the thing I love most is about this word specifically is the size. I, I, I was asked to give the opening prayer and sacrament today. And as I looked over the, the congregation, I could see everyone's face very clearly. I'm a young man. My eyes are, they're fine. They work fine. But in the ward I come from, people would sit way in the back of three overflows and you just couldn't see them good. And here... You can see everybody, you, and, you, and you recognize the faces, and it's small, and it feels like feels like a family. You know, I mean, every word feels like a family. I think we use that we use those you know the, that sort of uh, vernacular a lot to describe the church, you know, word family. But I think here I take it a little more literally because it's just so small. There's no reason why you shouldn't know everyone by name and and be able to you know understand what's going on in their life. And I think I like that the best. If I was going to leave a message to my posterity 100 years from now, first of all, I want to be clear, I don't believe that the world will be the same 100 years from now. I think that, you know, by then, you know, the millennium will have commenced and Christ will have come and all that. But I, I'm not sure, right? No man knoweth the hour. So I think try to slow down and take things moment by moment, Right? We, we talk all the time about how we should have a perspective of, you know, of the bigger picture. And that's all well and good, and we should do that, but also we should enjoy the small things, right? You know, oh, I've got something coming up next week. I've got a big camping trip coming up. And every moment from here to there is in anticipation of that thing, or whatever it is, whether it be a trip to Disney World or whatever it is. And in the, in the interim, you miss hundreds of moments, you know, and so slow down. You know, don't worry. That thing is going to come. Whatever's coming is going to come. Just enjoy all the moments, the small moments, and make them all count. Because especially when you're raising children, you know, every moment is a teaching opportunity, and they're always watching. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the personal history and stories presented today. And most of all, I hope it has brought you closer to another member of our ward.